Okay, so uh, my name is Julian Savaleski, and I direct the uh, program on the ethics of the new biosciences. I'd also like to introduce my deputy director, Matthew Liao, and uh, and Dr. Tom Douglas, who's the uh, the director of our ethics of synthetic biology stream. Um, so let me just start by saying that we're in a, a rather unique place within the school because um, we, we deal with the ethical issues that arise from advances in technology. So. We've already had very successful collaborations with the Institute for Emergent Infections, Environmental Change Institute, Susan Greenfield's work. Um, but I can already see lots of things that we could potentially do. And I've, I sat for two hours waiting for my shoulder to be dis, um, reduced after dislocation in the NHS. And I was going to write an article on the illness of the NHS, but I can just see a much better article after the last uh, uh, talk, because I can see there'll be many very good arguments for an ethical imperative to, uh, to provide this sort of treatment. Um, so let me just quickly pass over and talk about our own uh, research uh, before perhaps inviting you to talk about potential collaborations because I can already see many of them. An overview of where we're heading for in, in the uh, program is we seek to understand the nature of the human animal in, uh, in biological and psychological terms. Advances in, in biology and the neuroscience are revealing a lot about our nature uh, as animals, not just our predisposition to disease and what treats and prevents disease, but in terms of why we behave in certain ways and the character that we have, the abilities that we have. So we're very much interested in, in understanding, first of all, these advances and how you can intervene to change human nature. So as originally conceived, the program focused on four main areas within biology and the rapid advance in, in biotechnology, stem cell science and cloning, uh, genetics and artificial reproduction. But we are willing to embrace all uh, advances in biology uh, and indeed uh, the interface between the so-called converging technologies, nanotechnology, information technology. And indeed, uh, over the last phase of our program, we expanded the program to, to move into the cognitive sciences, uh, psychology, but particularly the neurosciences. Uh, we also have an active stream in terms which may be of interest to you in, in terms of research ethics, the e ethics governing uh, research, but uh, we've also worked in terms of uh, more mainstream topics within medical ethics, resource allocation, distributive justice, and obviously the issue of the, the uh, proton accelerator is, is ultimately going to turn on issues about distributive justice. Um, we hope in the future to, to move into nanotechnology. But as I said, we, we, we provide ethical expertise, and my first deputy director at the UHERO Centre, which if you like is the umbrella for the applied ethics activity, was David Roden. Uh, and he is, he's working on one of the institutes in his own right. Uh, so let me pass over these th theoretical uh, slides. Essentially, we hope to bring and to show that philosophy can, can bring something to your area, as well as more mainstream moral philosophy and ethics. Um, so let me just briefly over, run over the, the sorts of um, projects that we're doing. As I mentioned, one of our major areas of interest is, is how understanding, particularly from the Human Genome Project and uh, behavioural genetics, is yielding insights into our nature, uh, not just in terms of our dispositions to disease, but in terms of our intelligence, cognitive abilities. We've been working actively to look at the concepts of disability. Uh, we previously thought disability was something that you see. You see blind people, you see deaf people, uh, you see people who have paralysis, but genetics will reveal that we have all internal obstacles uh, to achieving happiness, a good life, and various other socially valued outcomes. Synthetic biology is another area that's rapidly advancing that uh, throws up many new challenges. 
uh, as does, as was previously mentioned, the, the possibility of creating chimeric or hybrid life forms. Uh, we are at the brink of, of creating not just fluorescent human beings. A few months ago, scientists created the first fluorescent human embryo, and you see the fluorescent rabbit on the top there, which shows that you can transfer genes from one species to another. But we will be creating life forms, and indeed we have in biology, in terms of uh, GEEP. The GEEP is a cross between a goat and a sheep by fusing the embryos. But we will create life forms that have never so far existed. So Venta is, is trying to assemble life from the very chemicals from the ground up. And this raises many profound and interesting ethical issues and also practical issues of, of bioregulation. Tom Douglas is, is going, we hope to do his postdoc here, on dual use of biotechnology, particularly uh, uh, the development of bioweapons uh, and also the ability to intervene in human psychology, both to enhance human psychology but also uh, for malicious purposes. And obviously the area of nanotechnology is one where people have talked about dual use. I also hope in this phase to expand into whole genome analysis. Um, one of the great um, opportunities of being a part of the school, and I worked in Melbourne within a scientific uh, institute, the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, is to see what's really happening at the, at the coalface of science. And uh, I think one of the hot topics is going to be whole genome analysis, and we hope to uh, work with colleagues in Oxford and in, indeed in Duke in Melbourne on, on that area. As I said, we, we've also branched out into the neurosciences, and this uh, owes a great debt to Susan Greenfield's um, Oxford Science of the Mind project funded by the Templeton Trust. Two uh, researchers from that project, uh, Nick Shackle, who's now left, but Guy Kahane, uh, have led the development of this proposal. Um, they've produced some very interesting research that I think just came out last week on pain. Uh, but Guy has also been doing some very interesting work with um, colleagues in Oxford, Kachevich, looking at uh, moral decision making. I'll come to that. So many of the most uh, pressing ethical issues confronting us over the next aid will involve the science of the mind. And rapid advances in neuroscience technology will raise many interesting ethical issues, but also enable us to better understand the ways in which we make moral decisions. So this particular arm of the project which is again involves Matthew and myself, but is led by Neil Levy and, and Guy Kahane, will have four main streams. The first is looking at free will and addiction. The second, the neuroscience of morality and moral decision making. The third, the ethics of borderline consciousness. And the fourth, cognitive enhancement and human well-being. So um, free will and addiction, we're continually learning more about the factors predisposing agents to loss of control. We know, for instance, that certain genotypes are correlated with greater activity in certain parts of the brain, which seems to make people more impulsive and more prone to addiction. Um, here we have, I have time only to review one bit of research, which is suggestive of the sorts of things that we want to do, but one researcher called Libet timed what the so-called readiness potential, the distinctive electrical, electrical activity in the brain preceding voluntary action of subjects engaging in actions at will. I won't go through the experiment in detail, but what he showed was there was electrical activity in the motor parts of the brain prior to subjects reporting having made a decision to act. And what he suggested was that this showed that, uh, that rational choice, uh, intentional action, is an epiphenomenon. Uh, that in fact, we're programmed at subconscious levels to act and the so-called uh, intention is really a product of, of this subconscious, um, subconscious activity. Now, this may or may not be correct, but this gives you some idea of the sorts of advances in science that threaten our concepts of free will and responsibility.
transcranial magnetic stimulation has also been employed um, to influence people's choices uh, and yet they nonetheless report that their actions were purely voluntary. So again, the possibility of not just understanding the basis of action but also influencing, influencing it is on the horizon. Uh, we ran a successful conference at the end of uh, Susan's project uh, looking at some very interesting research that came out of Cambridge using functional magnetic resonance imaging of patients said to be in persistent vegetative state. And uh, what this uh, experiment done by Adrian Owen and colleagues involved was uh, asking control subjects such as yourself to imagine that you're playing tennis or imagining that you're walking through a room and various areas of the um, brain associated with that lit up. He had a series of patients said to be in um, persistent vegetative state and two of them uh, when asked to imagine uh, these activities had the same areas of their brain light up uh, as the control subjects, raising the possibility that these people had some conscious, some level of consciousness. So we, we think his conclusions are incorrect. There are various interpretations of this and indeed Neil Levy has had publications related to this. Probably the most exciting part of the research is some empirical research we're doing with uh, Irene Tracy and Kachevich looking at the neuroscience of moral decision making. Uh, now in one, I don't have time to go into this in detail, but in one famous set of experiments done recently at, at Princeton University, uh, Joshua Green constructed a, uh, a, a typical ethical dilemma which was involved the so-called trolley problem where a trolley is going down a route to kill five people, you can divert the trolley and uh, it will kill one person. You ask people what should you do, most people say divert the trolley. Second version of the problem is the only way to stop the trolley is to push somebody, an innocent person, in front of the trolley and that will stop the trolley and save the five lives. Here people diverge. So-called consequentialists or utilitarians say exactly the same choice, the outcome is the same. When you scan their brains, the so-called rational, the high areas of their brains light up. The other group, the so-called deontological group, who think you should never kill an innocent person, often from a religious background, uh, they activate the more primitive emotional areas of the brain. The conclusion of this uh, experiment was said to be that consequentialism is a more rational form of morality. Uh, Guy and Katcher have done a very interesting set of experiments that I predict will uh, enter nature, where they've shown this conclusion is wrong. In fact, uh, when you switch the decision and make the intuitive choice, uh, the uh, consequentialist one, the emotional primitive areas of the brain light up and when people have to make a counterintuitive choice that's deontological, the, the more rational areas of the brain light up. This is the sort of area that the debate is going on. So it's probably related to intuitiveness rather than consequentialism or deontology. The last, uh, well, I won't move into cognitive enhancement, there's obviously overlaps with Susan's educational program. The last major project that we're engaging in is looking at what can cognitive science tell us about religious conflict. There's a lot of emerging evidence from social psychology and other areas of cognitive psychology that show that we are biased to act in, in certain ways and institutions uh, can shape our choices. So we hope here to look at that evidence and try to understand from the perspective of cognitive, uh, cognitive science why disagreements arise and why they become entrenched and so hopefully to make suggestions for their improvement. So let me finish there and open to questions.